This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. The Strangers and Aliens Podcast, Episode 211. Till We Have Faces, Part 1, The Origin of the Book. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here because we are going to talk about, finally, finally, what I have rediscovered as my favorite book of all time. And I, not to spoil my personal reaction for next episode, but <laughs> um, I'm not here alone. You heard two people laughing. One person is in the room with me, sitting across the table with headphones on. And that would be me. It's me, Evan. Just Evan. And the other one is not sitting at the table with me, but he still, I think, has headphones on. I, I have he- earbuds in. Earbuds in, not headphones that- on. Okay, so- whatever. It's it's yeah it's acceptable it's acceptable we'll 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 allow it this time. What's weird is me and Ben have the exact same brand and model of headphones on, except mine are blue. They are blue, and and Ben's are black. Yeah, that is weird. (laughs) I don't know if it really qualifies as weird or not, but I'm gonna just accept the accept the adjective and and move on. Okay, curious. Yeah. So here we are, and we have been leading up to this episode. Man, we've been talking about doing this for a year and a half, two years, maybe three. Longer than that. Before I came on, you guys were talking about it. It was a long, 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 long time ago. But we are going to talk about the book Till We Have Faces. But before we begin, gentlemen, we do have some thank yous that we should hand out right now. And um, I'm going to start. I'm going to thank uh, one of our sponsors. Uh, this one, we have two sponsors for this episode, and one of them is Tiny Panda Threads. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this so I don't get anything wrong. But did you know you can wear comfy clothes and support an awesome charity while you do it? If that sounds cool, check out Tiny Panda Threads. Tiny Panda Threads is owned and operated by sibling team Zach Nelson and his little sister Gigi. Gigi, a seven-year-old girl who was adopted into the family out of China, is the mastermind behind the company who comes up with ideas for graphic t-shirt designs that her older brother Zach brings to life. Tiny Panda offers unique, one-of-a-kind graphic t-shirts that are incredibly comfortable to wear. The majority of the proceeds go to the organization that saved Gigi's life, One Sky. And that's that's and not once guy. It's one sky. O-N-E-S-K-Y. So <laughs> check them out. There's cool t-shirts there. And yes. uh, we will be talking more about them later. And I can personally vouch for the comfortableness. Again, me and my wife both have some. They're great. So head on over to tinypandathreads.com and support a pretty awesome endeavor. The other thing, uh, we, we have another sponsor that we'll talk about at the end of the episode. We'll also be talking about where you can get the music 
that opens and closes this episode by Heath McNeese and also um, final information about our episode artwork and where that came from. But that's at the end. Let's jump in. Let's let's start talking about Till We Have Faces, the book. I'm not joking when I say it's always been one of my favorite books. But this last time I read it, I just had so much fun reading it. And and then I put it down and my son picked it up and he read it and I asked him how he liked it. And he said he really, really liked it. And I'm just, oh, yeah. <laughs> but we've been talking about this because this is a fantasy book by C.S. Lewis that's not a direct allegory, although there are some arguments that we could make later on about certain characters having allegorical um, assignments. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite people of all time, let alone favorite writers of all time. And this book it was, was his last fiction novel that he wrote. And so we are going to talk about Till We Have Faces. And we are going to take two episodes to do so. Episode one, this episode, is where you want to start. And this episode is going to be a spoiler-free discussion of where the book came from. And then next episode is going to be a spoiler-filled discussion of our thoughts about the book, taking a look at the characters and the themes and the things that stick out to us. Basically, your, your, your typical book discussion. And so... My hope is that people who have not read the book will hear this episode and think, oh, maybe I should read it too because it sounds great because it is. You should. And that when we do the next episode, you'll have read the book and and we'll enjoy the conversation about it. Um, you know, if you don't, I think you still might enjoy the conversation, but you'll enjoy it more if you if you read the book. And I've read the book long 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 time ago steve i i I assume you've read it a while ago is that true the first time you read it oh yeah yeah Yeah. but evan evan when did you first read this book man i first read this book a couple of months ago in preparation for these episodes because i joined the podcast and like hey you have to read this because we're gonna do an episode on it yeah that was i think what in january december was it that long ago it was a while ago Wow. It was a while ago because I remember saying, you have to read this. I think it was in spring. Because we're doing an episode about it. Yeah. Well, I know I didn't give you the book until spring. Yeah. But before I gave you the book. You told me. I told you you have to read it. The day you guys invited me onto the podcast, or the day you said I'm an official host, you told me. You're reading the book. Go get the book. Yes. (laughs) And then you didn't get it, so I gave you my copy. Yes. And then I didn't have my copy, so I had to buy another copy. Sorry. So I've got my other copy. It's around here. Yeah, here it is. You hear that? This smells really new. <laughs> but I like the cover of my new copy better than I liked the cover yes, of my old copy. Yes, the other copy was an interesting cover. It was kind of dumb. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the place of this book in C.S. Lewis's own bibliography. And we're going to talk about the place of this book in his personal life when he wrote it. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about the origin of the book outside of him writing it because he did not write the original story. He took a myth, the myth of Cupid and Psyche, and he turned it into this novel. And so we'll talk a little bit about that myth, where that myth um, kind of was popularized. And then next episode, like I said, we'll talk about themes and character and style and, and, uh, and plot and, and we'll talk about the, the nitty-gritty details. So this is the overview that gets us into where the book came from. 
Um, I do, I, I will say this is the last of his fiction books that I discovered. Um, Steve, how, how many of, of C.S. Lewis's fiction books have you read? Do you know? I mean, there's not a lot. There's Pilgrim's Regress. There's the three books of the Space Trilogy. There's The Great Divorce. The seven books of the Chronicles of Narnia, Till We Have Faces. And some people say that uh, Letters to Malcolm and A Grief Observed might be... Screwtape Letters. Oh, Screwtape Letters. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've read everything except uh, Pilgrim's Regress, but I've read parts of that as well. Yeah, I think you'd dig uh, that, Steve. I think you'd like Pilgrim's Regress. Yeah, I'm working on it. Um, um, also, uh, The Dark Tower, although yeah. that has an odd, uh, odd uh, whatever you call it there. I wouldn't call so, it a... It's a, it's a fragment. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in this anything. list, yeah, because yeah, he, he didn't finish it. Because there's also After Ten Years which is another book that he was going to write similar to what he did with this one. After 10 years is about um, 10 years after Helen has been kidnapped in uh, Helen of Troy. That is the, the face that launched a thousand ships. She's so beautiful and she's been kidnapped and it would have scenes with the Trojan horse. But the punchline for that was going to be that it's 10 years later and she's not as beautiful anymore. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, so, Evan, how how much of C.S. Lewis's fiction books have you read? Okay, well, I've read Out of the Silent Planet. I haven't read the other two yet in his space trilogy. I've read all the Chronicles of Narnia except for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because I had just seen the movie and I didn't want to read it because <laughs> um, I had just seen it, you know, so I don't want to re redo all that. Uh -huh. So I haven't read that yet. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and I've read Screwtape Letters, most of it. I think I've read all of it. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I did. I've listened to all of the audio drama of it anyway, um, for sure, and seen the play. Uh, and what was the other ones? I haven't done Pilgrim's Regress. Uh, I have done The Great Divorce, uh, and I think that might be it. Okay. So, yeah, Pilgrim's Regress is not as famous for a lot of good reasons, and one of them is it's a straight-up allegory of his own life. And so there are some moments where... Like, you have to know about his upbringing. You have to know about, like, the Church of England and the stuff that's going on during that time period. It's not impenetrable, but there's, like, a couple different books that you should read along with it <laughs> as you're reading it. Um, he wrote that in 33. In 1938, in 1943, uh, and 1945, those are the, the Space Trilogy. Um, uh, Screwtape Letters was 1942. And Great Divorce was also 1945. And then after that, 1950 through 56, that was The Chronicles of Narnia. And then Till We Have Faces was also in 1956. This was his last novel that he ever wrote. And he would say, in fact, I have the quote right here. Um, he, he told someone uh, that it was a complete flop, the worst flop I've ever had. I must admit it's my favorite of all my books, but I suppose that's because it's the last. And so it was the last book he had written mm. at the time. And in a letter to one of his readers, a child reader, he said, I'm so glad you both like Till We Have Faces. I think it much my best book, but not many people agree. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of the, uh, the, the contemporary view of the book was that it wasn't that great of a book, but I couldn't find a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, but there were a handful of places where I did see something saying to, something to the effect that 
Tolkien thought it was C.S. Lewis's best book as well. And like I said, I, I couldn't find a quote about that from Tolkien, but apparently it was, it was, uh, well, it was, he, Tolkien didn't like Narnia very much. Yeah. And that did kind of cause a rift between them and kind of stopped the excitement and fun of the Inklings meeting together. Uh, so I'm curious, like Tolkien's view of Till We Have Faces, if that kind of helped heal any rift or anything like that. Because yeah, that would be interesting. So I, I just can't find that anywhere, though, um, in any in any primary sources. Anyway, lots of two or three different places where they say it. So you know, I was talking to my friend Hudson, you know, from the mm-hmm. Star Wars uh, yeah, yeah. road trip, and he was saying today, uh, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we get up to heaven and C.S. Lewis has just been writing books ever since he got up there? <laughs> well, have you yeah. ever, uh, Steve? Have you read the Sandman comics? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, well, in Sandman, there's a library. And this library is all the books ever written and all the books never written. <laughs> and so it has, like, the 8th and ninth Chronicles of Narnia. Nice. And it has, like, all these different things that are, are like, lost books or um, books that someone thought about writing but never did. But it exists in this library. Cool. And, yeah, so that, you, Hudson saying that kind of makes me think of of that that idea so yeah with with his fiction though pilgrim's regress like i said is a straight allegory and if you've read pilgrim's progress or if you're familiar with it it's that style of allegory mm-hmm. it's that it's totally just straight up metaphor the pilgrim is going through life and the pilgrim is it's, it's almost an autobiography um the space trilogy is science fiction, but there's spiritual elements to it, and there's some some elements you could, you could argue of allegory, metaphor. Um, screw tape letters is its own thing. Um, and Great divorce is also kind of this its own allegorical world. But till we have faces, I mean, in in the Chronicles of Narnia, he uses lots and lots of mythological elements. But until we have faces, he's straight up rewriting a short, relatively speaking, short myth and it's it's not the same kind of thing and the other thing that's different about it we'll talk about this in style in the next episode it's the only fiction book that he wrote in first person hmm. uh everything else is written in in third person and that adds another element to the actual book so um now some of other his other books that he wrote was a lot of um apologetics but he also did write uh a book called surprise by joy and a book called A Grief Observed. And those are two books that are about his relationship with a woman named Joy Davidman. And have you ever seen the movie Shadowlands? I've not. I've heard about it. Oh, Steve, have you seen it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, did you like it? Um, and there's two versions of it. One is the yeah. Hollywood version and one is the BBC version. The I'm BBC trying to remember. came first. And I'm trying to remember if I, if I, which one I liked better. The the Hollywood version was odd because it conflated the two sons, right? Yeah, put it so, together, yeah, into one. Yeah, so they had just one, which I thought was just kind of silly. I mean, obviously, if you're just looking at a script and you can have one actor instead of two actors, but if you're telling a, you know, an actual story that happened, it's like, you know, I, I if someone was telling my family's story, I wouldn't want to be one of the conflated sons. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, we don't really need you. You know, we're just going to say your dad had two kids. This would be like, you know, but anyway, um, so I, I think 
it was well done for what it was, but I didn't I didn't really like the conflated sons there. But yeah. other than that, well, the the Hollywood version was Anthony Hopkins, Deborah Winger, really, and the little boy is the kid from Jurassic Park. Which one? The boy, the little tiny, the little tiny, <laughs> the little kid in the first Jurassic. Does Park. Anthony Hopkins play C.S. Lewis? Yeah. Well, yes. I yeah. need to see this. Yeah, and. You know, I had it. I had both this version and the BBC version on VHS, hmm. but I never did get around to getting it on DVD. You know, Bethel just did the play, Shadowlands. Oh yeah, okay. I didn't go see it, but I heard it was good. Well, I think. you know, I was at a Bethel College um, alumni dinner, and my old French professor, who was also my public speaking professor, stopped me and said he thought of me because of them doing the play. I took the play and turned it into a three-person, um, I don't know if I would call it a play at that point, but, um, and we performed it in his in his class. And, you know, he and I didn't always get along, but that really moved him for hmm. some reason. And there were some things maybe going on in his personal life, but it really, it really moved him. And uh, it was a lot of fun to do and just take the play. And I photocopied the whole thing and then just turned some some of the some of the stuff I turned into different monologues that the different characters Warren Warney and Jack and um and Joy and so it was just the three of us and it was it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun but that's that romance story Shadowlands is kind of the romance and so here's what happened he met Joy in 1952 and she was an American woman who was going through a divorce because her husband had started seeing her cousin. Oh. And she ended up moving to England. Um, her husband stopped sending support, not because he didn't like her, maybe, but he wasn't making enough money to send support. And so C.S. Lewis actually started helping her, um, have giving her money in 1954. And in 1956, they got married, but it was a civil marriage. He was doing it so she could stay in the country. Hmm. And they got to know each other then and got to know each other well. In 1957, they had a Christian marriage. <laughs> and and then after that, they discovered she had cancer. And so he was kind of going through um, life with her as she's dying. Hmm. And, and then she dies. And so then that's where Grief Observed comes in. It's kind of his... If it's not his actual thought processes and actual journal of the time, it's definitely him remembering those things and putting pen to paper about it. But so that's his relationship with Joy. But the book Till We Have Faces is uh, it's dedicated to Joy Davidman. And and Steve, are you aware of why this is that he dedicated the book to her? Um, I've forgotten. I think okay. I knew at one point. Well. She considered herself a consultant and an editor. And so in the book that I – one of the books I used in researching this, A Love Observed, which is by Lyle Dorset. It's actually about C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidman. And he kind of takes a bunch of the primary resources and squeezes them all together and so kind of gives the story in their own words. And so Joy considered herself a writing consultant. She said, whatever my talents as an independent writer, my real gift is as sort of an editor-collaborator. And I'm happiest when I'm doing something like that. And she was a writer. She wrote a couple different novels that are, from what I remember, when I was trying to collect everything, they were hard to get. But she also wrote a book about the Ten Commandments called Smoke on the Mountain. Hmm. And it, that's a pretty good book. 
In spring of 1955, she wrote about how C.S. Lewis was a professor in, at Cambridge, and he had a, quote, nice, quiet room and all the time in the world, and the inevitable happened. He's dried up, and <sighs> he quite, he's quite worried about it. So he wasn't writing as much as he wanted to, and he wasn't getting any good ideas. So she, on a weekend, was visiting Lewis and his brother at their home. She was writing... Warney, the brother, was writing, and C.S. Lewis was lamenting that he couldn't get a good idea for a book. And so then, again, in her words, she says, We kicked a few ideas around till one came to life. Then we had another whiskey each and bounced it back and forth between us. And the next day, without further planning, he wrote the first chapter. I read it and made some criticisms. He did it over and went on with the next. And then she says, What I'd give to have his energy. And so she basically became his consultant and his editor, on this book, which is one reason why a lot of people say that it's such a good book because he's writing in the first person as a woman and he has joy helping him along the way to kind of get basically get the perspective right. So, um, yeah, but the thing is this myth, Cupid and Psyche captured his imagination earlier than, than this. It, there's some I, I don't know where, but there's a quote from C.S. Lewis where he says he, that it captured his imagination as early as 1917 when preparing for his entrance examinations to Oxford. So that's, again, this is kind of where it's coming in in his life. It's before he's married to her with the Christian marriage. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's um, definitely her relationship with him uh, helped the book to, to, become, to become what it was. So, yeah, so let's talk about Cupid and Psyche. Evan, what do you know about this myth, Cupid and Psyche? <laughs> I just know what my friend uh, Wikipedia told me. Okay, and, and Wikipedia in this case is a helpful, yeah. helpful advisor and, and friend. And I know what I took away from it from the uh, book, Till We Have Faces. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I know who Cupid is. He's the Greek god and the Roman god of love. And he's got the magic bow, which when you are hit with an arrow, the first thing you see, you are in love with for for the rest of your life or whatever. Um, and I've seen that in different you know, movies, cartoons, whatever. Yeah, the, the myth of Cupid and Psyche is kind of the, the basis for Beauty and the Beast. You can kind of see it there. I don't know if it's the best um, explanation of where Beauty and the Beast came from, but I've heard a lot of people <laughs> say that Beauty and the Beast came from... I say I heard a lot of people say. I read a lot of people saying that they they thought Beauty and the Beast was came out of of Cupid and Psyche. But Cupid and Psyche essentially is about um, how a, the most beautiful girl in the world, Psyche, um, made Venus jealous. Venus and, is the same as Aphrodite. Yeah, Venus is Aphrodite, and so by making her jealous, they there had to be a sacrifice. So they sacrifice Psyche, and she's taken to cupid who says hey i'm gonna marry you and it's gonna be great and then you're gonna come and you're gonna live with me and at night we'll be together but you can't see my face so then they love each other they're with each other and psyche's sister's like hey all jealous and everything and saying you know if he says that he must be some sort of beast if he says that you can't see him and so don't don't take him at face value. You need to see his face and choose the value yourself and take a torch 
and cover it up. And then when he comes into the room, you just uncover and you'll see his face. You'll see how disgustingly awful he really is. And she does it. She puts the lamp under a bowl or whatever. And then Cupid comes in and she uncovers it. And, oh, it's, it's not really true. He's actually pretty gorgeous. And so she gets punished and she has to do a, basically she has her own series of labors that she has to do and perform. And by doing this, she actually kind of earns herself um, a reprieve from her punishment. But it's not as popular a myth as or a fairy tale as like Cinderella or as the you know the Minotaur or you know Hercules. Um, but it was in a book called The Metamorphosis or The Golden Ass. And it's called that because it's about a guy who gets turned into a kind of donkey guy and i haven't read it i don't know much about it <laughs> all i know about the metamorphosis is from what i read in the afterward till we have faces and our good friend from the sci-fi christian the third host of the sci-fi christian wikipedia and <laughs> so they say the golden ass the protagonist of the novel is called lucius at the end of the novel he is revealed to be from madaris in ancient algeria the hometown of Apuleius, who is the writer of the book. The plot revolves around the protagonist's curiosity and insatiable, insatiable desire to see and practice magic. And while trying to perform a spell to transform into a bird, he is accidentally transformed into an ass. This leads to a long journey, it's literal and metaphorical, according to Wikipedia, filled with inset tales. He finally finds salvation through the intervention of the goddess Isis, whose cult he joins. So... Happy ending. Okay. He finds a cult that he can join and a goddess who will change him back. And so the, the myth here, the, the story of Cupid and Psyche, is one of the stories that's told by some woman that she tells this story to, um, as I understand, it tells it to Lucius. <clears throat> and so as it's like three or four chapters in this book. And, and that's kind of just the way this book works, apparently. I Again, I haven't read it. I actually own a copy of it. I don't know why I even bought it. But <laughs> I did, and I have it. And I think I bought it and never once opened it. And I bought it in college. Wow. So this is like 20-odd years ago <laughs> that I bought it. And nice. <laughs> never once opened it. Um, and now I'm not too excited about opening it, honestly. But... <clears throat> Yeah, so um, again, from Wikipedia, it says the tale of Cupid and Psyche is placed at the midpoint of Apuleius's novel and occupies about a fifth of its total length. The novel itself is a first-person narrative by the protagonist Lucius, transformed into a donkey by magic gone wrong. He undergoes various trials and adventures and finally regains human form by eating roses sacred to Isis. Psyche's story has some similarities, including the theme of dangerous curiosity, punishments, and tests, and redemption through divine favor. As a structural mirror of the overarching plot, the tale is an example of misin abin. I don't know what that means. It occurs within <laughs> a complex narrative frame, which Lucius recounting the tale as in turn was told to him by an old woman. So basically it's a flashback within a story within a flashback or something. So I mean, it's it, a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, it could be. It could be. All right, Christopher, I know you're listening, so... Yeah, so as Lucius is telling his story, he then tells the story of the lady who told the story to them. So Nice. 
There it is. <clears throat> and this is ancient, correct? This, this is ancient. This is from, oh, where did I put that note? But this is from like 100 BC or 100 AD, something like okay. that. Um, it's, it's a really, really old novel. And uh, in my notes to Steve and Evan, I said, I know we're going to end up saying the word ass more than we have in <laughs> 200 and some episodes. And we already have. And, and we have. We're yeah. there. Said yeah. it more times than that. I think so, we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, we're quoting a thing, right? <laughs> this this reminds me of the time when Christmas rolls around and we sing that one song that has the word ass in it. Yeah. You, know? you know what it reminds me of is one of my children, I'm not going to say which one, but <laughs> one of my children who used to pray, Jesus, please help me not to say the words fart, poop, and and the only reason they were praying that is so so they could say say the words. Nice. So that's why we're actually doing this episode is so I can say golden ass many, many times. But in context, it's a donkey. We're talking about a donkey. I mean, I'm not using the word as a pejorative against anyone. It's like in Shrek. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Except I hate that. So now I feel really bad that you've just compared me to Shrek. So so that's the background of where the story came from. That's the background of where the novel came from. And that kind of gives a little bit of background of where this fits into Lewis's chronology. I mean, this is what he died in 1963 and he wrote this in 1956. I mean, so this was just, you know, a mere seven years before he died. Mm. After this, he wrote a lot more apologetics. He stopped writing apologetics um, for a while because he I think he got some bad reviews or something like that about <laughs> oh what book was it might have been letters to Malcolm but he there's a book that he just wasn't received well and and so he stopped but then after this and Steve this is something I wanted to talk about in, in next episode right. but I know one of your favorite books it's a book you made your wife read before you got married to make sure you're on yep. the same page about things all right is uh the four loves yeah and i believe that there is a really good pairing for every fiction book that c.s lewis wrote right with, with not every nonfiction book with but with some nonfiction book that he wrote that he wrote okay. yeah and if you read uh till we have faces and then read the four loves or Vice versa. Four Loves, I think, was around 1960. I can't remember the date on that. But um, those two books go together. And when we start talking about theme, you are going to see I, – I, I'm going to bring it up a lot because <laughs> the loves that he talks about in The Four Loves are on display in this novel. You can right. tell he was thinking about The the Four Loves and maybe even working on I, – because I, I think it came out of some radio – the radio addresses came first before right, the, yeah. the book. I think they were um, wartime. Yeah, which the radio address addresses of the four loves are some of, if not the only, uh, re- existing recordings of the radio addresses that C.S. Lewis would do. Yeah, it's, it's his, his own it's the only, voice. The only recording we have of him in his own voice. It is awesome. When I discovered that, I couldn't believe that I held those cassette tapes in my hands <laughs> Of C.S. Lewis's own voice, and he has this beautiful baritone voice, and he's talking about Storgy, and oh, it's just it's just awesome. And there was a while when I, I didn't listen to it every year, but I, I tried to listen to it as often as I could. And 
I, when I was um, used to go running around here and I'd run along the river here and I'd listen to C.S. Lewis talking about Storgi. <laughs> you know, if you, you have um, the Pilgrim's Regress could be matched up with uh, Surprised by Joy. And I, I won't go through all of them right now. But things like uh, Introduction to Paradise Lost would go with um, Paralandra and just different things like that. So when you're reading this nonfiction book where he's exploring these nonfiction things and then you see him using those things in his fiction. Till We Have Faces goes with The Four Loves, in, in my opinion. And it's it's uh, the Till We Have Faces is a, a novel exploration of those things. We'll get into that with our next episode, though. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Steve, do you have anything more to add that that I might not have, have covered or um, that you would like to to say about about these 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 parts of where the where the book came from what the book's about i think uh one thing that you know if if someone hasn't read this yet and they're sort of like you know wavering back and forth yeah yeah it's C.S. lewis okay it's you know strangers and aliens and it'd be kind of cool to you know but i don't know if i want you know what the thing is when you read this book there's and I don't want to give this away because it's it's such a cool thing. But there's a point in the book where everything changes and you're you it's it's so difficult to explain without giving it away. It's you know, something to experience. Yes. Yes. And it's it's unlike almost any other book I've ever come across or any other story um except sometimes like in you know older stories and stuff like that uh, like the twist ending type of thing happens and all of a sudden it's like you know oh it wasn't my twin brother it was my triplet and it'll be like what you have a triplet that's crazy and then you know it, it sort of ends like that where you get that twist ending but this it's like it it twists and then it has this wonderful ending. It's just like it's it's not just twisted in there just as like a little smack in the face and like, oh, ho, ho, we tricked you or anything like that. It shows the it, it's it's like it's like a veil has been lifted metaphorically in, in, in the story. If you've read it, there's also, you know, there stuff. are real veils in the story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like, it, it's, it's like, as you're reading it as, as a Christian, as a reader, as a, you know, a thinker, you're, you, you can, hopefully you can sort of see through what's going on here. And then there's a point to it where it's just revealed. And, it, you know, it's, it's so it, it's refreshing because you you have this thing that, that's taken off and you can sort of re-examine and, and, and all that stuff. But, you know, it, it happens in the story as well. And it's just it, it's amazing that uh, that type of, of feel to it. Um, you know, there's there's. I, I, I guess that's the element that I would say if you haven't read the book and you're sort of on the fence, 
do it because of that, because it's, it's one of those things where you can't, you can't get that in, in a lot of different things. And I would say Um, this is a book that, that deserves at least two readings. I'd say yes. give it a, a, your initial reading so you can discover yeah. the stuff as it happens. You don't know where it's going. No, no. Right, right. I mean, you kind of know because you know maybe the story of Cupid and Psyche. I didn't know. But, but even if you do know the story of Cupid and Psyche, you don't know the story of Oruol. And we're going to stumble over her name Aurora. a billion times in the next episode. But Oruol. 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 Um, <laughs> she, um, it's, it, she is one of the sisters and, and so the whole story is told through her eyes. So you don't know her story and you don't know where it's going with her and you don't know the discoveries that she is going to make and the journey she is going to go on. I mean, the, the Cupid and Psyche story is basically a launching pad for this other character's story. The, the, the prime character until we have faces and it is something to discover along mm-hmm. with her and, and it's, it's it's really good they they really get inside her head you do as a reader mm-hmm. and it's just totally believable and it's and there is that moment where everything changes mm-hmm. for you the reader and everything changes for the character and and then all of a sudden it's a yeah you're right steve it's like if m night Shyamalan would take his movies and put the twist like right at the in the act two, act three break, you know, just right there. That's when the twist happens. And then you spend the rest of the time with the characters absorbing in the meaning of the twist. It's really cool. Um, if, if you've read more modern books, but you haven't read, uh, this, uh, I got a hunger Games sort of vibe from it, from the main character. Um, with how because it's first person just like Katniss mm-hmm. is first person in the Hunger Games, and so if you like that sort of storytelling, it's very uh, similar. And but I believe that this is better um, because it's it's yeah. C.S. Lewis, but it's really good. And then I would say you've read it once, come back to it a year or a year and a half later, maybe even two years, and you know where it's going, and you're still going to have some new discoveries, but you're not you're going to catch things you didn't catch before mm. and you're going to see things that are kind of pushing forward you know i was just playing uh kingdom hearts with uh evan today on my playstation 2 because my wii u was stolen yep out of my house <laughs> in broad daylight in broad daylight <sighs> another story for another day it was a yes. it's a weird story though it's actually a good story because it's just weird but then also it makes me feel a little creeped out every time we think about it but anyway um, and as we're playing, Evan's like, okay, pay attention to this. Yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> is this foreshadowing or no, it's subtext, you know, because you're going to catch, but since you don't know the relationships, right. you don't know that this is subtext. And I have and, seen this part of the game countless, <laughs> countless well, it's the opening. It's the opening, uh, yeah. <laughs> animations or whatever. Yeah. But it's it's like that where when you read this a second time, a third time, um, in my case, I think I've read it five times now, um, which is not – there have been a couple other books I've read more than that, but not many. And I really couldn't even tell you which ones they are right now other than maybe like The Lion, Lich, and the Wardrobe. And yeah, I'd really have to think hard. But I know there's something else that are – oh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Good Night Moon. 
Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> yes, actually, Good Night Moon, I have read more than five times. You know, I never read that growing up, ever. Well. I was like a teenager by the time. Yeah. Just found that one. Green Eggs and Ham, though. You didn't miss much. <laughs> you didn't miss much. They say good night to the moon. Yep. And they say good night to everything else. Yep. And the kid's basically stalling so he doesn't have to go to bed. Huh. Animaniacs did a fantastic parody on that. But anyway, that's beside the point. I want to do the Christian version. Again, going back to my kids, where it's just a kid who's just praying and just thanking God for everything he can think of nice. so he doesn't have to go to bed. It's just, <laughs> and thank you for – thank you for – Nice. And thank you for my friend and thank you for my dad's friend and, and thank you loaf. for yeah, – thank you for the fork that I use to eat my meatloaf. Thank, thank you for helping me not say the word fart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, there's <laughs> – Sorry, it just reminded me of something I saw on – it was like Good Morning America or something and they were playing this – they had a baby monitor that was recording and they – the parents recorded their daughter who just randomly started praying in the middle of the night to Jesus. And she's like, thank you for mommy and daddy and mommy and mommy <laughs> – and mommy, it's just spontaneous. And she, she's like, thank you for Santa and mommy. <laughs> she loves that mommy. Yeah, she does. Excuse me. Sorry. Oh, it's good to love your mom. It is. It's good. So anyway, second reading, third reading, you're going to pick up on some of the subtext. And this last time I read, I had enough space between that I had forgotten some just some, some of the basic plot elements and things and things the story was going to be doing. And so it was like rediscovering it again. And as I was reading it, when I got done, I was just, ah, oh, I've forgotten why I loved this book so much. Because in my mind, I have that feeling of I love this book. Mm. But then when I picked it up to read it again and I started really getting into it and just remembering because it's just written so well. And we'll talk about yeah. style and we'll talk about the plot and we'll talk about all these different things and our personal reactions. Right to the book on our on our readings as and well but the characters are so fleshed out and the world is so fleshed out um that they're in it's like it's like the person who's wrote it it was actually real and actually lived there it's very cool but it's yeah. one of those things where i feel like i can never write a book like, <laughs> I, I should just give up writing yeah. right now i know what you mean because it's so good mm. how can i possibly write anything that anyone would want to read when they could read this. You know, why would <laughs> you anyone read one of my books if Tilly Have Faces is out there? So. If anyone could do it, Ben, it would be you. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope people want to read my books, even though Tilly Have Faces is out there, because my books are on sale. And I want people <laughs> to buy them. But, yeah. Yeah. And so for some people, would say it's just an adult Narnia. You know what? It kind of is. But that's a little bit. It's not a bad thing at all. I didn't think that at all. No, no. I mean, it's it's like it's an adult book that's going to get you thinking about spiritual things because of the fantasy nature that's in there. Uh, Again, it's not the same kind of allegory that you would find in in Narnia. But we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Next episode will be a much longer episode because just by its nature of the things we're going to be talking about, this one's kind of your primer. This is your um, preface this is your hey go read this book if you haven't yet but it's also like i said kind of telling where it came from and i just think it's so neat that the joy relationship between joy and c.s lewis or jack as as they call them in, in all of the writings and all of their their personal writings and stuff 
um, that that relationship is kind of a core foundation. And there's even people who say that the main character has elements of joy within her, but then also has these elements of C.S. Lewis within her as well. And so just to see this be, they never had children together, but this is kind of their creative child mm. that they had. And, and it's a lasting legacy that she left in getting to know him and in having his, her relationship with him. And I think it's really cool. So I guess all that said, um, Steve, Evan, mm-hmm. do you have any final words about uh, Tilia Faces before we, we come back in our next episode? Highly recommend it. Go read it if you haven't because you won't regret it. Steve? I, I think if if I had to like take a literary reference from something that has absolutely nothing to do with this – it would be from Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter, where he says, to the untrue man, the whole universe is false. It is impalpable. It shrinks to nothing within his grasp. And he himself, insofar as he shows himself in a false light, becomes a shadow or indeed ceases to exist. That's, that's good. All right. <laughs> not at all what I was expecting but yeah. I would say we we do need to continue with our thank yous that we had at the beginning of the episode uh, first our other sponsor for this episode and then uh, thanking the artists who helped make this episode possible Evan? Our other sponsor for the episode you know them, we all know them they're, they're sponsoring our contest we're doing in a little bit, it's the Woodprint Shop if you want quality uh, wood prints, you can go over there and send in your graphic art or your photos and they will print them on wood and make a one of a kind rustic piece of art for you to own. Yes. Like the John Carter thing that we are giving away that maybe I should win. <laughs> I I don't know if that's And you are not fair. eligible to win. Well, but I'm the one putting the names in the hat, so they could all just read Ben Avery. That wouldn't be. Wait, no, my <laughs> wife could win it. Friends and family are not eligible. Well, friends, uh-huh. but not family. Friends are eligible, definitely. Yes. Fr- friends if we said eligible. friends and family aren't eligible, we get like one name we could put in. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so I guess the, the biggest question actually would be, how do you get your name in the hat? It's pretty simple. All you do is answer this question, send in through Facebook or through our uh, our podcast email, which is podcast at strangersandaliens.com. And just answer this question, which sci-fi or fantasy character would you want to buy a Christmas present for? And what would you get them? Send in more than one answer. Be super creative. Um, we're just going to make a random selection from all the participants. But then these are going to go into an episode where we're also going to, as hosts, talk about this question. So we're hoping to get a lot of people to send in something to us. You can you can also uh, call us, leave us a voicemail at one eight zero four thirty seven alien one eight zero four thirty seven alien, and we need your answers by December first. All right. <laughs> we also have to thank the artists, though, who helped make this episode possible. Uh, we are doing a lot of the talking and stuff, but we had someone who graciously, graciously provided us with uh, a pretty awesome song that was inspired by and based on the book that we're talking about today. Uh, we want to thank Heath McNeese. Uh, he was in an episode uh, before this as well, and uh, he is at heathmcneesemusic.com. That's H E A T H M C. 
N-E-A-S-E, music.com. And the music that we took was from his album, The Weight of Glory, second edition. And we didn't take it. He generously offered it to us after we asked. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, he didn't know we wanted it until we made well, Yeah, how could he interest. offer it to us? Until <laughs> <laughs> we, we had faces. Requests. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, yeah. Awesome album. Awesome guy. And awesome of him to let us use that music. And Evan, we also have uh, artwork for this episode that comes from yes it comes from and i hope i say this correctly bill Quee evely who is a professional comic book artist and uh i came across some of her art while i was surfing around the net and uh her one of her favorite uh authors is c.s lewis and in her spare time she has drawn some scenes from till we have faces and they are just great and she has generously allowed us to use that in our uh, podcast art uh, on our Facebook page and on our website. So if you want to check her out, she's done some some work for looks like Wonder Woman. She's done some variant covers for a bunch of other DC titles. Um, and you can find her at billqueevely.deviantart.com. And uh, this I spell that B-I-L-Q-U-I-S. E-V-E-L-Y.DeviantArt.com. You can go over there and check it out. And uh, Ben, do you want to say anything about uh, DeviantArt? Yeah, DeviantArt is a website for artists to showcase their art. There are some things on that website that are you wouldn't want little eyes to see and that are not, um, let's, let's put it this way, not safe for work. I'll, I'll say that. Not on her page. And also, if you go to that website and are not logged in, those images do not come up. Um, but if you are logged in, you probably already know that they can come up and, and yes. sometimes do randomly. Uh, but again, like I said, not on her page. So I, I, f- I do feel safe sending people there. So we will have links to all these in the show notes. And the show notes for this episode can be found at strangersandaliens.com slash faces one. And so huge thanks to all of them. And now, without any further ado, Evan, thank you very much. No problem. Steve, thank you for joining us from across <laughs> for the joining. for across the the nation Globe. yes bringing you the constant variety of sports <laughs> the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat which we didn't really have any agony i hope this time around we had to really work hard to actually make this episode work though there was a lot of technical difficulties that we had to overcome yep. which we finally yeah. overcame by having evan just join me at the table yep yeah. So I'm over at Ben's house yeah, where the internet yeah. works. Simple solutions. <laughs> uh, but I do want to thank you, dear listener, for listening, for joining us, and especially for joining us in our next episode, which will be that in-depth look at the book and the things we like about it and the way it touched us all. And until next time, I, I just want to say read the book. If you haven't already, you should because I love it and I love you and I want you to enjoy a book <laughs> it's getting kind of weird <laughs> you know when i was teaching again today just today i was teaching about how we were supposed to love our neighbor and i said you know you gotta show love to your friends at school and i said you need to tell them you love them by the things that you do and and all the kids are like I'm like come on guys you know you don't have to say you love them but you have to tell them by doing the stuff you know and I'm just telling you you know listeners out there we do we appreciate you we do and we love you in that 
special C.S. Lewis weight of glory kind of way because you carry the weight of God's glory. How's that? Is that better? That is that is better. Okay. Well, anyway. Wow. Just wow. Anyway, I think you'll get something out of it if you read it. I think you'll enjoy it. And other than that, <laughs> it took us long enough to get there, but Godspeed. I heard the voice of God, so I followed it. Left behind the ones I love the most, no apologies. And some were jealous like I forsook them for this monument. And some were salty, I parted grips, dissolved the partnership. See, sometimes immortal speaks. And we desire to see the face of God on earth so much we hope that he has more to teach. But no one hears the voice of God and thinks it's something else. So when I run the light, you think I'm running from myself when it's long and it brought me here. So leave it really means returning to a home that I never had but I always wanted near. And for that, I'll make an angel break my bones to dust, attack until my name is new, until the casket closes shut, till every lover resents me, and barely a one respects me, dead and buried, no respects, and no one cares, none ever accept me. I haven't done enough for love, and how could love accept me? A broken bone, embedded stone, a newer name is empty. Fold your frame of broken bones across this frozen lake. Regret just blows across the emptiness of open plains. Guilt resides in spiteful corners of a soulless place. So die before you die, beloved. That's the only way. Home awaits those souls to break the bonds of slow decay. It's cold and snowy nights that slowly fade from lonely days. But it's worth these frozen veins to see a perfect face. So dig the words right out of us. To this cage of fragile ribs protecting us is shattered. Gladly grounded back to dust. And return to earth as fleeting vapor, ash, and rust. Why should he listen to us babble in a thousand tongues? See when tread and beauty clash and force his souls to speak. And ease the bowing tongues to plead the blood that no one bleeds. The kind that opens gates to welcome home the lowest thieves. The kind that gives us faces so we see what holy means. Yeah.